Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Thank you, Misha. Those who are going to Little Worship are dismissed, can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open uh, your Bibles. A couple different passages may be easiest to follow along in the bulletin. But if you want the Bible before you, the passages are Matthew 16, uh, Matthew 28, Acts 2, hey, Cor, and then 1 Corinthians 10. Um, Meredith, we've got one more coming. Yeah. You can go, you can go that way. Just keep going. So, um, as we're, as we're uh, beginning a new year, uh, and as we're all kind of finding our, our passages this morning, uh, one of the facts of the week for me this week was, uh, or had to do with palm trees. And, and I know for some of our gardeners, this is probably the oldest news ever, but for me, I didn't know this about palm trees. Uh, did you know that, that a palm tree is not a tree? Uh, it's not classified as a tree. Uh, now, it looks like a tree. It obviously can be the size of a tree. It, it provides shade like a tree. And some of them, like the coconut, palm, it, it even bears fruit like a tree. Uh, but it's not a tree. It's just a very tall plant is how it's classified. Um, well, as we begin 2022, uh, as you, we mentioned earlier, we're, we're beginning a, uh, just a short three-week kind of you know, mini-series uh, we're, take, we're pausing our time in Luke and getting to this series called, uh, we're going to call it Family Meeting. And, and we're, we're going to hone in on the church, on church leaders, uh, elders and deacons, and we're going to do this for two reasons uh, is why we're doing this mini-series. Um, first and, and most importantly, as Christians, it's vital that we regularly go back and, and, or go back to the basics of who we're called to be uh, what we're about. What is the church? Who are we? Because churches can be a lot like palm trees, right? Um, they look like a church. They talk like a church. They dress like a church. They even have the name church on the sign out front. Uh, but they're not a church. They're not the real church, at least, uh, you know, according to what we find in Scripture. Uh, and we know from Revelation that it's possible that Jesus doesn't want anything to do with some churches. You know, that he, he says that he's going to remove the lampstand or remove whatever it is that makes the church special, a place of light in the darkness. He removes that lampstand from those churches. It's possible for that to happen. And though there are many, there are many faithful congregations across, across the denominational spectrum uh, that are engaged in awesome gospel ministry uh, for the kingdom, though that's the case, unfortunately, as some of you no, there are also many, many apostate churches today. Uh, churches that don't exhibit the marks of the church Jesus established. And, and sometimes it's obvious when that happens, isn't it? So when churches leave the historic apostolic teaching of the gospel, when churches leave that in favor of a new, more progressive version of the gospel, uh, it's pretty obvious when that happens. But these palm tree churches can be a little more nuanced. I mean, they can be real sneaky because palm trees look a lot like trees. 
um, can be sneaky. So just two examples of this. You know, it's, it's easy for a church to consider themselves preaching and teaching the gospel. Like they are a gospel-centered, we teach the Bible church. And most of us would say, that's a church. And yet, if you listen closely, what they're really teaching is moralism. If you listen really closely, what they're really teaching is self-improvement. You know, it's five ways to be a better husband. You know, three ways to improve your marriage. Four keys to unlocking your true potential. And I'm sure there's a lot of great general revelation advice found in those sermons and teachings. But I don't know about you, but I need more than advice. I, I, I got plenty of people giving me advice. I, I need good news that, that God, God knows that I messed up. And yet by grace, despite me or us, like, like he came to seek and to save sinners like us. Nonetheless. And so it's the opposite of the do more and try harder and let's just go Christianity. It is in Jesus, God not only forgives you, but he loves you. But like, like he sees you like he sees Jesus. And that is the gospel message. And when that hits us and the Spirit woos us to repentance, I mean, it breaks us. The Spirit woos us to repentance and then to experience the joy of salvation. It's like a jackhammer that hits the concrete of our hearts. You know, we, we respond to his mercy and grace by then following his way. Which means like, like all the advice in the world can't change us. You know, no, it's the Spirit massaging the gospel news deep into the, the cracks of our soul that changes us. And so it's possible to miss that as a church. May it not be so here. And, and then there's a second really sneaky palm tree. And I'm just doing two. There's probably many, many others. But it's what we would call the God and country church. And there's nothing, and before, like, like there's obviously nothing wrong with patriotism as a Christian. Because as, as believers, we're called to seek the peace and the prosperity of the place in which God has placed us. You know, we want America, we want Greenwood to thrive, right? Which means if you, like many others in town, were, are really concerned about what went on New Year's Day or New Year's Eve and sounds that didn't sound like fireworks, then, you know, like, we can go, let's talk to people. Like, let's don't just sit here. Um, you know, you can do, try to do something about that. You know, we're called to seek the peace and the prosperity of the place in which we live. Yet, because of bad theology, that can morph into thinking that God's warnings and God's promises to Old Testament Israel, they aren't really to the church today like we would say good theology teaches that those, those warnings and those promises are actually to America. You know, there's a whole bunch of people that, that would teach that. And so just as there was this, you know, the, the faithful few of Israel who held strong, there's also the faithful few in America that are holding strong, and it is their job to stand the gap. And it's their job to return us back to a Christian nation, um, to return us back. And in a desire, which again, those are great desires, but in a desire to restore the culture, it's, it's possible to conflate God and country into the same thing. And in the place of church, we turn it into kind of this Christian nationalism thing. And you know, Nazi Germany had a national church. 
who also sought to return Germany back to its national glory. Um, and there were a, a small handful of German Christians who, who rose up and they said, wait, I thought this was about Jesus. I thought this was supposed to be about his kingdom. I didn't know this was about our nation. And of, of course, they were considered dissidents, and some were even executed as traitors, not to the gospel, but as traitors to the true God of that church, which was their nation. And so we're doing this series because we need a CT scan, so to speak, of our church to see uh, if there's a cancer here or if there's something toxic here that doesn't need to be here to see if we are a church that, that like Jesus established. But then the second reason we're doing this mini-series is this is going to be a primer um, to prepare our hearts for nominating new church officers. Um, it, it's a, a weighty, weighty thing to nominate church officers uh, because so often as the officers of a church go, so goes the church. Um, so um, this is a season, I want to encourage you all to be a season of intentional prayer and, and thought uh, about the future of Westminster. And so then in four weeks after this series is over, uh, we're going to have a family meeting. All this is leading to a family meeting or a congregational meeting to receive nominations that we will then begin the process of officer training. And then those nominated and trained will be examined by the session. And then later in the year, we'll have uh, another meeting in which the session will put before you the names to be voted on for officerhood. And it will be your honor and responsibility to elect new church officers. So that's, that's something that's going to be coming on in the next, for sure, four weeks. And then in the months to come, um, just be aware of that. So please, in the next three, four weeks, be thinking. If there's someone that you think exhibits the, you know, the qualifications of an elder or a deacon, uh, go to them and ask them if, if they wouldn't mind you putting them forward for nomination. Uh, begin, begin the process even today, okay? Um, so this is really weighty, but it's also really exciting. So with all that said, let's dive into God's Word and explore what a biblical church looks like. This is God's Word, uh, Matthew, starting with Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered Peter, He said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold... I am with you always to the end of the age. 
And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And then finally, 1 Corinthians. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This is God's good word. Uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is, is holy, it's inspired, it is inerrant. Um, Lord, which means that your word, it, it, it transcends time, it transcends culture. Um, Lord, it is just as valid today as it was the day it was written. Which means the, the church that we read about in your word is, is still the church that you've called us to be. So Holy Spirit, come. Um, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts to, to receive. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So just a, a fair warning, this may be a challenging sermon in some ways. Uh, because this is not about the church that we want. If only this could be about what we wanted. Uh, this isn't about the church that you want. This is about the church that you need. Uh, thankfully, Jesus came to establish the church uh, that we need. And often those two don't quite match up. So what does the church that Jesus established and the church that we need look like? Um, well, obviously, look, there are like books upon books written about this. I have like 20 minutes, okay? So um, we're not going to be able to explore everything, but hopefully throughout this three-part series, we'll touch on other things that we missed today. Uh, but for this morning, first, we need to see that the church we need is a gospel community. Keyword, gospel community. You know, the first time Jesus used the word that we've translated and come to know as church was in Matthew 16. We read it this morning when, when Jesus told Peter that Peter, it was on your confession that I will build my ecclesia. Now, ecclesia means a, a gathering. It means an assembly. Uh, you could say it called a congregation, community. Which means when the earliest Christians said, all right, well, well, I'm going to church. Come on, kids, let's get ready for ecclesia. They didn't mean that they were going to a building. No, they, they meant that they were going to gather with God's people. They were going to gather with people who shared love of the gospel. Uh, they were going to gospel community. You know, the early church didn't even really have buildings to speak of. They, you know, they met in homes or, or maybe a community center. Uh, it wasn't until hundreds of years later when the Romans sought to Christianize their vast pagan temples that the, the, the church became associated with big, beautiful buildings. So church is a, a community. Uh, it's a gathering which means that little thing that we teach our kids, you know, we're like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door and look at all the people. It's fun, but, you know, all of this in the church, right? You know, we, we, this is the church. The, the people are the church. Um, but it's not just a group of any old people. Jesus said, Peter, it is upon the rock of your confession that I am the Christ, 
that I will establish the church, which means the church is a community of people in which the gospel is present. A group of people who come together confessing that Jesus is the hero. It's very special. That Jesus is the Savior and our only hope of forgiveness, joy, and peace. Okay, so so far so good, right? It's a, it's a community, kind of believe in Jesus. But, but here's where the palm trees can pop up, even in good churches. And here's where the church that Jesus established is sometimes different from the church we think of. Because it's easy to think of church kind of like we do Rotary Club or Supper Club or Bulldog Club or Cotton Row Club or the book club that you're in, the hunting club, any other clubs that you may be in where people who share similar passions, similar stages of life, similar social positions get together and relate you know, you get together and you form community, which tells us that like, you don't need God to build community. Uh, like all those clubs, all those communities could thrive regardless of the Spirit. Uh, it tells us nothing of the power of the gospel. So like, it's saying, like, of course you're in a hunting club, you know, <laughs> you love to hunt. There's no big deal. Like nothing about that turns the world upside down like the early church did. And real quick, I'm not saying you have to have nothing in common with each other but Jesus you know, to have gospel community. But if we stop and think about this, if we look at the, just across the board, if we look at the, at the church, um, often it can look very homogenized. You know, if you like a certain type of music, you go to that church. If you like a certain type of preaching, you go to that church. If you're a certain race, you go to that church. And it's very homogenized. Because what you find is churches full of like all these people who man they'd be friends regardless if the gospel were true. And you wonder like is the gospel even at play in this church? And so discipleship gurus are starting to see that the church has taken a page from those other clubs um, in in that most of the we could call it quote tools that churches use to build community center on something other than the gospel. Um, you know, if you're a young adult, you know, we're about to have a young adult Sunday school class in two weeks, and we're talking about marriage. So if you're a young adult and you're looking for community, come to our young adult class and be around people in a similar stage of life. And we're going to talk about marriage together, and hopefully, you know, you can have community there. If you're an older adult, join the Delta Stars group. You know, have community. Uh, if you're musical, then you know, we have a music team. And you can just get together and talk about music. If you're uh, you know, more artsy, we've got several artists in our church. You know, I can put you together with them. Y'all can talk about all things art. Um, if you like working out, you know, there's a group in our church called the Shred Shed. And then you know, talk to Brad McKay, and uh, he will get you shredded. You know, he's building a beautiful community over there. You know, and I don't mean to downplay any of that because that's important. But what we do is, is we can build community on similar life experiences, similar identities, similar causes, similar social positions, similar interests, which again, in itself isn't bad. It's just those communities could probably thrive regardless if the gospel is true. You know, if you're a single mom, of course you're going to relate to other single moms. Which means it's possible to have what we would call a, quote, good church community. You can have a quote, I think I've got a good church, and yet it actually not be a gospel community. 
You, you with me? Does that make sense? I'm saying. Um, hence, it's not the church. And there are tons of churches. Like we could build a big church if we just wanted to do some of these things. But but it's, it's the church is a gospel community. And so, no offense, you know. But even in our church, there are various friend groups who, you know, even if Christianity wasn't true, y'all wouldn't miss a beat. Y'all would still be best friends. And again, I love that, that you have strong friendships. That, I mean, that's a gift of God. I love that, that many of you have come and said, look, Westminster is a special place. And I agree to it. Like, I've never experienced a church like Westminster. I do think the community is very special here. Um, you've come and you said you love the community here. I'm just saying, just be careful not to mistake similarities. And we're all kind of like in this together. Don't mistake that for gospel community. Because in the Bible, what turned the world upside down wasn't the normal friendships, the normal relationships that you would probably have anyway. But it was the fact that in the church, there were also friendships that existed only because of the gospel. Um, that apart from God's grace in Jesus, there were these people who were friends who would never have been friends otherwise. And so not to embarrass them, but uh, take Joseph Gorman, uh, Joseph Gorman and Derek Hinckley. Uh, for instance, if y'all remember the Hinkleys, I mean, talk about opposite ends of the spectrum, the political spectrum, the social spectrum, the NRA, you know, card-carrying spectrum. Um, you know, the world just doesn't work. Like, you're probably not going to be friends. But in the gospel, because of their shared love of Jesus and Jesus' work in their lives, I mean, they're brothers, I mean, they, 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 tr- they are family, friends, quite literally for eternity. And that's beautiful. So gospel community is uncommon. It just doesn't, wor- it just doesn't work out in the world. It's unexplainable. There's a supernatural element to it. In which regardless of your age, regardless of your race, your financial situation, like, whatever... The Spirit binds us together as recipients of His grace. And it creates this new, this new whole category of people as blood-bought sons and daughters, family members in the family of God. And so in response to Jesus' love for us, we find ourselves loving the things that Jesus loves. And that also means loving each other. So we find ourselves not only worshiping together, but as we've said many times here, we find ourselves one-anothering one another. Which means we don't just come and gather on Sunday morning, but we, we, we point one another to Jesus. Like we forgive one another in Jesus. We encourage one another towards faithfulness. We restore one another in Jesus. We speak the truth in love to one another, submit to one another. We carry one another's burdens, and we bear with one another in love. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a community that I'm excited about. And it doesn't matter if that's the community you want or not. The Bible says that's the community you need. That's the community that turns the world upside down. Um, and that's who we are. Okay, but what do we do in what little time we have left? The church we need is a disciple-making church, which brings us to our, our, our second point. You know, in Matthew 28, before Jesus ascended, he met with his disciples and he gave them final instructions. He said, look, when, when I leave, this is what you're to be about. This is what the church I'm establishing is to be 
about. And so this was his desire, his vision for the church. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And to which we may say, let's go, Jesus. Let's let's crusade the Holy Land. let's, Let's take it to the enemies. But he says, with, with all this authority and power, he doesn't want us to wage holy war. He doesn't call us to build huge buildings. He doesn't even say, look, I want you to make the main thing about your church social justice. I want you to go and do charity work. No, that, that's not the main thing. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. I want you to baptize them, which means this is something that takes place within the context of church. You know, baptize them into the church community. And teach them to observe all that I have commanded. And do this knowing that I am with you always. Even to the end of the age. You know, it's interesting here that in the Greek, the only imperative to this is make disciples. But in the English, and y'all have probably heard sermons, surely, that we, we make a huge emphasis on the go. Like we read the go as like so important. But in the Greek, it's, it's just a participle, which means you don't have to go anywhere to make disciples. You know, you don't have to go on that short-term mission trip to Haiti or to Peru or to Mexico or wherever. You don't have to go, though God does call some to go. You don't have to go anywhere. What he means here by being this, this participle is, more accurately, Jesus meant as you're going you know, as you are doing life, as you are farming, as you are parenting, as you are making sales, as you are making sawzall blades, as you are interacting with people, you know, shipping Coke products, whatever it is that you find yourself doing, as you're teaching, make disciples. And, and notice Jesus didn't say, look, I want you to go and make converts. I want you to go and make church attenders. No, no, it was very specific. And this is why this is a little confusing, because we don't use the word disciple. We think this is kind of like a cult. We don't use the disciple very much, aside from a few hours on Sunday in modern English. So thankfully, Paul gives us this great summary of what a disciple is. This is what he means. In Colossians 1, Paul writes, Jesus we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That's it. A disciple is someone who is maturing in Christ. You're growing in Christ. Which means a disciple isn't a one-time, you walk the aisle, you get your insurance from eternity in hell, and you're done. No, not only did Jesus die to give us eternal life, but like you also realize that, that Jesus died to give us life now. That the Jesus way, the kingdom way, is the best way to flourish now in life. And so to be a disciple is to be a lifelong learner of the Jesus way. Okay? And you know that that means different things. As you're a kid, as you're in college, as you are, you know, establishing yourself in career world, as you're in middle age, as you get in older adulthood, like that means different things in different stages of life. And so that also means that making disciples is a lifelong calling for all believers. And it happens best organically. You know, it's parents through the thousands of conversations that you have with your children, grandparents with your grandkids. You know, it's, it's the, or even with friends, it's the, the meals that you have, the conversations that you have over coffee, over, you know, you're taking a walk over a lifetime. So it's a lifetime of repentance, 
a lifetime of experiencing forgiveness. You know, being a disciple means a lifetime of learning what does it mean to be a son, a daughter of God. What does it mean to pursue a lifetime of holiness? And it's, it's a lifetime of walking with others through valleys low and mountains high, reminding each other that Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. That's why we preach exegetical sermons. Um, that's why we have Sunday school classes. That's why we have women's studies. That's why we have small groups. That's why we now have men discipleship gatherings. It's so that we can show and tell Jesus. So that we can peel back layer after layer of grace and be reminded of what is truly good and truly beautiful in this world gone mad. And so the church we need is a church that makes disciples first and foremost. You know, it'd be great that if we, you know, we could build great buildings and have awesome things. Those are all icing on the cake. You know, the, the, the meat of it is making disciples. But it's also a church that knows we can't do it on our own. Which brings us to our third point and how we'll close very, very short. Our deepest need in all of life, our deepest need in the church, is God's presence. To have His face. Remember when Moses was meeting with God, Moses said, God, if your presence doesn't go with us, then we, like, we, we can't go. It's like without the Spirit, without God's face, we're dead in the water. Well, the church is the same way. If God's not with us, then we're just spinning our wheels as a church. And look, I nor, nor anyone in here can will a, a healthy gospel community, disciple-making church. Now, we can will a lot of other-looking churches, you know, there, there, I mean, there are things that we could do today that could probably pack this, this place out. You know, there are changes that we could make that could grow a church. But it may not be a healthy gospel community disciple-making church. That only happens if God's involved. And thankfully in Jesus, like because of the cross, that's what we have. It's a promise that we have to keep coming back to over and over and over again that he, that he is with us always and that the church is about Him. And which means as we follow Jesus into this great co-mission, He will establish His gospel community, disciple-making church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And y'all, that's the church we need. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for, just again, your word. uh, That you just don't leave it up to us to come out here and just like sandbox mode and just build a church. But you've given us very specific instructions of the type of community that a church is and then what that church is to be about. So Lord, I ask that you would make us in the year 2022... um, more and more in line with you. Um, Lord, we give you, great, we give you praise for your faithfulness to this congregation since, since its inception and as it, as it grew and as, it, um, as it's kind of just progressed into the future. But Lord, even as we progress, we ask that you would help us to keep looking back, back to Scripture. Uh, what does a biblical church look like? And may we, uh, you give us the, the tenacity Give us the, the faithfulness to, to pursue that. So, Father, as we come now to your table, uh, we thank you uh, for your means of grace that you've given us. 
we ask that you would take these common, just everyday elements, and that you would set them apart to be a means of your grace to your people this morning. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.